Hey guys, this is the Sustainable Cell Development Podcast and this time you're going to hear episode number 5 in which I'm talking to Jeff Nipper all the way from Canada. Jeff is a competitive natural bodybuilder and powerlifter and a popular fitness vlogger and YouTuber. He's also coaching people online and has a clothing line at strong.com which is spelled with a C and is sharing lots of great knowledge in the videos he is uploading to YouTube. He was kind enough to join me on my podcast and we discussed lots of cool topics related to how he is programming and periodizing his training and nutrition across the year, what his views are on things like intuitive eating versus macro tracking, as well as on reverse dieting, which is funny as not long after this interview was launched, he actually organized the legendary reverse dieting debate on YouTube featuring Lane Norton, Menno Henselmans, Eric Helms and Peter Fitchin. And it's been an absolutely amazing podcast experience, which I highly recommend you guys check out. So Jeff is definitely a good guy to follow. I've always been impressed by how critically he approaches the methods and views of some of the most well-respected experts in the fitness field. And he is always very respectfully, but firmly, kind of questioning them when he is doing interviews with them. For example, during his interview with Menno Henselmans, he was very confrontative and not hiding away the fact that he disagreed with the benefits of very high training frequency over more traditional bro splits. And I think this is definitely something to appreciate as most podcast hosts usually shy away from confronting their guests too much, which is definitely something I understand. It's not the easiest thing to do. So in this episode, you'll learn lots of interesting topics regarding bodybuilding, training and nutrition, Also, we will dig into Jeff's personal background and how he got started and what his fitness journey was like. And he will even share some advice for people for success. You can also find this interview on YouTube if you search my name, Abel, and type Jeff Nippard after it. And you can also download the MP3 from my website, which is susdvc.com slash podcast. That is susdvc.com slash podcast. So, without further ado, let's go to this interview with Jeff Nippard. Thanks, Jeff, for taking the time, and uh, yeah, thanks for coming on. Yeah, hey, Abel, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, uh, I guess uh, let's start with the basics and, and maybe just give a short uh, overview on what you do in your daily job or, or what you do on a daily basis. I, I know you're a bodybuilder, a powerlifter, but I've seen on your Facebook, I think that you're in uh, some kind of university uh, working there maybe as well. Uh, yeah, so I, I am actually, full, my full-time gig right now is uh, online coaching. Uh, so I coach powerlifters and bodybuilders and some general just fitness enthusiasts uh, from pretty much all across the world. Um, so earlier this year, my girlfriend Robin and I, we founded a, a coaching company called Strong Coaching and Clothing. Uh, the clothing is still in the pipe, but it's uh, on the way. Um, and then prior to that, I, I did earn a degree in biochemistry at Memorial University of Newfoundland. Um, so that's probably what you were, you're seeing there on Facebook. Um, after that, I was accepted into a professional dentistry program. I uh, decided to withdraw from the program after I realized it wasn't really uh, what I think I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And so I instead decided to flex my sort of entrepreneurial muscle and, and uh, start my own business uh, with coaching. So that's kind of, that's kind of my full-time gig. That's what I do. Right. Uh, yeah, it's uh, okay. So you're stu- you studied biochemistry. Yeah. And actually, I, 
I, I didn't even uh, think of bringing this up, but do you think, because I, I see a lot of people now kind of being confused about what they should study. A lot of people are interested in kind of the fitness business and whatever. Do you think it, it helps to study something related to that or, or do you think it's completely irrelevant? What are your views on that? Uh, if I had my time back, I probably would have gone more so of the uh, nutrition or maybe uh, exercise physiology and anatomy type route, uh, just because that more kind of aligns with my interests currently and my profession currently. Uh, I was really heavily uh, weighted on the chemistry side of things in my program. So I actually did a biochemistry major and then a chemistry minor. Uh, so I have a lot of uh, education in chemistry that isn't really applicable to what I kind of do on a day-to-day basis. Uh, so I'm actually planning on going back to school. And if I do, I think I'll focus more so on anatomy and physiology, which is the stuff that I, I really find most fascinating. Um, but I think that the biochemistry is relevant uh, in the sense that there was a lot of focus on things like metabolism. And then also there were a few uh, courses that were required that were just straight nutrition courses. Uh, so those are, of course, relevant as well. Right. Yeah. Um, oh, sorry, go ahead. Didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, no. So yeah, to answer your question, I guess for guys who are looking to do something similar to what I'm doing, uh, I would say to, uh, well, first of all, uh, choose a program that is of genuine interest to you. I do think that that's important. Um, and then also, I think, uh, yeah, doing something like kinesiology or anatomy and physiology or even nutrition would be uh, a good way to kind of uh, get your feet wet and then uh, segue into a, into a career in coaching uh, or whatever it is that you kind of want to do. Right, right. Okay, um, well, let's... Uh... I don't know, why, why don't you give a little bit of a, a rundown on when you got started, how, how old were you when you started lifting, and uh, yeah, what sparked your initial interest, and yeah, just how did you get into all, all of this? Yeah, for sure. Um, so uh, when did I start lifting? Uh, that would have been 10 years ago now. Uh, so I'm, I'm 25 right now. I started when I was 15, um, and it was basically my dad who, who got me into bodybuilding. He was always just a, like a recreational bodybuilder, so we, he always had like bodybuilding magazines and uh, that kind of stuff just laying around the house. So I was exposed to it at a pretty early age. Um, my background is actually basketball, believe it or not. Um, I'm mm -hmm. only five foot five on a good day. Uh, but I was uh, a point guard and I had a, a good jump and that was something that I always worked on. Uh, so I did a lot of lower body training and a lot of plyometric training for basketball because as a short guy in basketball, it's important that you, you know how to jump. Um, so uh, that was kind of my main interest when it came to weights. It was mostly lower body training and that was kind of my purpose behind it. It was sort of like purely functional uh, and not so much aesthetic. Uh, but then I noticed that I started getting gains really, really quickly. I guess, you know, I have a genetic predisposition to add muscle. Um, and then, you know, I was in that newbie period. So I started seeing progress quite quickly. Uh, and then that was kind of motivating. And uh, I liked the improvements in my physique and so on. Uh, so then at 19, I, or well, it would have been 18, I decided to prep for my first show. And then I prepped through my 19th birthday. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, 19 is actually the uh, legal drinking age here in Canada. So, um, oh. I didn't really get to, you know, like celebrate that, but, uh, yeah. And then when I was 19, I, I finally first got on stage and was very successful with it. Um, I won my weight class. I won the junior title. I think I won another award called best wheels, uh, at that show. 
Um, then I won another provincial title the following year. Then I went on to win the Canadian Junior Drug Tested Nationals uh, here in Canada in 2012. I, I took the lightweight title and the junior title overall for that. Um, and then I took a, a year or two off, uh, competed in 2014 at the Natural Muscle Mayhem in California. Uh, that was where I turned pro. Um, and now just recently this year, I competed in my first pro show where I played second. Wow. Okay. So you're a successful bodybuilder for sure. And actually, so, so how, how many competitions were that in total then? Uh, there, uh, I think it's been six, maybe seven, uh, bodybuilding contests. And then I've done around the same in terms of powerlifting. Wow. Okay. So, um, so first to, to, I want to ask you later about uh, powerlifting as well, but first to focus on bodybuilding because, because it's interesting because a lot of guys, uh, I, I hear them talk about how kind of psychologically it wears them out a little bit because all the, you know, like the, the stress that goes on with, with, with prep as well, but then getting on stage and then getting exposed to the judges, hearing their evaluation and maybe the disappointment that comes from that. Like, how do you deal with that? Because it seems like you don't need a, that much recovery time between uh, contests. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess the, the frequent competing um, was what something that I did earlier in my career, I guess. Uh, so I do see that as kind of a mistake. Uh, I had to diet harder for, say, my second show than I did for my first show, just because I think that they were a little bit too close together and I didn't take quite long enough of an off-season. Um, so I think, as you correctly said, that's a, an important aspect of this. Uh, bodybuilding, especially if you're doing a natural, is something that's difficult to recover from. And so I, I tend to emphasize the importance of taking a sustained break or a sustained off-season or improvement season or whatever you want to call it uh, between contests. Uh, but yeah, I guess across the last six or seven years, I, I've managed to pack in uh, six or seven shows. Um, now, mind you, a couple of those would have been like within the span of a couple of weeks. So it would have been like an extended season, for example. Um, but uh, in terms of the judges feedback and that playing on you mentally, um, I guess that you one of the things that would be useful is to try to mentally distinguish you, the competitor from you, the person. Uh, so when you're getting judged on stage and you're getting judged on your physique, they're really just analyzing your performance in the sport or the event or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and then trying to separate that from your own body image uh, and your own perception of yourself can be a real challenge for a lot of competitors, uh, like you said. Um, but I think that one thing that can really help is recognizing that you're aiming to look a certain way for the stage and not for the rest of your life. Uh, so you do peak and you do get to a very low level of body fat that simply wouldn't be sustainable or healthy uh, over the course of the long term. And so uh, with myself and with a lot of my athletes, I've really tried to emphasize the importance of gaining some fat, accepting that and recognizing that that's a healthy and normal part of not only the recovery process, but also the improvement process. Right, right. And okay, so actually, because um, I've seen some of your videos, it's, it's obvious that you're physically very well de developed and, and you're probably up there as kind of what's achievable naturally for, for a natural lifter. And uh, so first of all, would you mind sharing like your 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 lift records? I've seen you benching like 375 the other day. Yeah. And, yeah. And so 
Yeah, yeah. So, what are your 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 personal records? What do you weigh yourself? And and then, would you mind sharing like what you started with uh, back then, like your lifts and your initial body weight? Yeah, for sure. Um, so. Uh, I'll start with my current records. So yeah, you would have seen on Instagram, I guess, uh, yesterday, maybe it was the day before, uh, I hit a personal record on the bench press of 375 pounds. Uh, so at, at this point in my training career, PRs are usually pretty scarce. Uh, so that was a pretty special moment for me. Uh, it was pretty funny because uh, after I posted it, I don't know if you've had a chance to look at any of the comments, but it's just littered with trolls uh, of people going through and saying like, oh, that's not a real bench press or like, why is his back like that? You look like an, like you're having an exorcism or something like that. Oh, uh, just because people aren't, people aren't used to seeing a powerlifting form, I guess, in, in their right. gym or whatever. Um, and yeah, I guess people are just totally ignorant to how it is that a powerlifter bench presses. Uh, so that was kind of funny, I guess. I, I mean, I just take that stuff lightly. It, it, I mean, the people just sound like they have no idea what they're talking about. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't even read comments usually like, okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that, that would be my best bench press. Uh, my best squat was 501 pounds. Uh, I did that at the Canadian nationals in 2014. Um, and my best deadlift, uh, was in the gym. I deadlifted 550 pounds at around 165 pounds body weight. Uh, so yeah, those are my best lifts. Um, when I first started out, uh, I didn't care too much about powerlifting. I just thought the powerlifters were just big fat guys who just tried to move as much weight as possible, but didn't have good physiques. Um, so that wasn't something that was really important to me and I never trained like it. Uh, I would say for the first three years of my training, I trained just like your typical bro with a chest day and a back day and an arm day, a leg day uh, and a shoulder day. Um, and, uh, I just cared about really, uh, optimizing my physique kind of as a bodybuilder. Once I actually started, you know, developing an interest in bodybuilding f f in its own right. Um, and it wasn't until after I had competed in a couple of shows and I was introduced to, uh, Lane Norton. He's a, he's one of the prominent figures in the evidence-based community. I'm sure you're probably familiar sure, with him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I know, I noticed that he was doing powerlifting in his off season and that was really kind of what inspired me to say, you know what, I should try a powerlifting meet out and see how I do. Uh, because in spite of the fact that my training wasn't optimal for strength, uh, I was still nonetheless quite strong um, and I had always been an athlete. So I was uh, pretty good at performing the, the big three. So uh, then I, uh, you know, I did my first powerlifting meet. And then since then, I think what I've taken is more of a hybrid approach where in my off season, I'll focus more on powerlifting and in my sort of on season, I'll sort of switch focus and sort of let that take the back seat to the bodybuilding style training. Uh, so I still would consider myself to be a bodybuilder first and sort of a powerlifter second. Right. So, so what, what would you say, like, um, from when you, when you started uh, lifting, like how much muscle did you put on your frame? Hmm. In total? Hmm. That's a good question. Uh, when I started, I would have been in like junior high school, I guess, or just going into high school. Uh, so I think I was around 140 pounds. Uh, so I was pretty light. Keep in mind, I'm like five foot five. Uh, but people always thought that I was like muscular because I kind of had that like short and stocky build anyway. And I always had like sort of like wide set clavicles and bigger shoulders. Uh, but I guess then over the course of the next couple of years, I probably put on something like 20 pounds, uh, probably not 
a whole lot of it lean. Uh, and then when I first competed, I was uh, 140 pounds on stage. Uh, and then over the course of my career, I've brought my stage weight up to 150 pounds. Um, so, yeah, about 10 pounds of uh, gain from first show to pro show. So, yeah, and probably when you were 140 in the beginning, you were not 5% body fat. Like yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't quite as lean as I get now. So, yeah, when you consider the body fat percentage is probably more like 15 pounds of muscle or something like that. Uh, but it's, um, yeah, it's interesting. I think that my best gains were actually made between my second show and nationals, which is when I took like a solid two years break. Uh, and it was, it was in that period that my, my stage weight really increased. And I took on a, a kind of different shape. When I look at my photos from my first show to my second show, I feel like I didn't take long enough of a break to actually make many significant improvements. So I brought kind of like a similar look and then it was between 2010 and 2012 that I think my physique really started to take off. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. um, and actually like, cause now, now you're probably, would you say you're right up there with at the brink of what's possible uh, for you to gain, or would you say there's still more to come? Um, I would say that uh, in terms of, laying down new muscle tissue, I'm probably getting close to the limit. Uh, but I, I don't let that deter me. I, I kind of try to forget about that. I just say, you know what, I'm going to train to the best of my ability and um, develop a plan in spite of the fact that I may be nearing my genetic ceiling if that exists. Um, I recently did a podcast with uh, Menno Henselman's uh, for, for my podcast and uh, yeah. He said that he ran a little experiment on himself where he uh, did everything as meticulously as he, he's ever done throughout his career. Uh, and this is about 14 years or 13 years deep into his training career. Uh, and he measured his body fat percentage and muscle mass at the beginning of the year and then at the end of the next year. And he had added one pound of muscle tissue over the course of, of that year. Um, and it sounds minuscule, but if you compound that over say, you know, five years, like five pounds of muscle is a lot on, on someone's physique as a natural competitor. So, uh, I'm not sure that there is necessarily a limit to what you can achieve, but it might just be like an asymptote. Like it kind of just levels off as you get deeper and deeper into your training career, uh, but doesn't necessarily come to a point where it's actually at a, at a dead stop. Um, and then the other thing is, is I think like as a natural bodybuilder, there's a, a large emphasis on conditioning. Uh, so I think that that's something I can kind of always improve on is just bringing a little bit of a tighter, harder package. Um, and then as you age, you know, bodybuilders tend to peak later than other athletes. So a lot of the best natural bodybuilders and even IFBB pro bodybuilders uh, are peaking, you know, in their 30s. And so uh, I think that as I as I age and get more training experience, I'll just get better as a bodybuilder simply as a function of just getting older because uh, the muscle tends to just look harder and denser and, and more mature with more experience. So. Yeah, right. And, and I think it's it's also uh, uh, like when, when you say that it's, it's a good thing to keep in mind for people who are like, you know, even, even when they're just obsessing about missing a day in the gym or whatever, like they should realize that this is a, it should be a lifetime process for you or they should be in for the long haul. And, 
And it's easy even for myself, like I've had a, a nagging shoulder injury uh, recently. And that's what I kind of keep telling myself, what you just did that, well, I'm not in for the next couple of years. I'm really in for probably lifting until I lift because it's just, it's just fun. Right. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and so, so what, what would you say like on a daily basis, what motivates you to, to keep, to go to the gym? If, if it's not to put on slabs of muscle, like, you know, over the next five months, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think you kind of nailed that, like kind of nailed it on the head there when you said you, you enjoy it. So, uh, if it's something that you genuinely enjoy, then I find that motivation tends to be a little bit more intrinsic. Uh, so you do it just for the sake of doing it. Like for me, it's genuinely enjoyable to go in the gym and push myself. Uh, and if it wasn't enjoyable, I think I'd have a much more difficult time motivating. Uh, and then that would be a much more uh, legitimate question. Um, because like you said, you know, it, it does seem like it can can certainly be demotivating to think, you know what, I'm going to do all this work and get like a tiny little bit of return on it. Uh, so if you look at it strictly from a bodybuilding perspective, uh, sure, that can be uh, demotivating. Um, but at the same time, uh, I like to open myself up to other goals. Uh, so I don't just rely on the mirror, because if you're just relying on the mirror, and just looking at yourself, uh, did, I, did you lose me? Or are we still going? No, I'm, I hear you. Oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, okay, I thought the audio cut out. Um, so yeah, so if you're just relying on the mirror uh, and your own eye to gauge your progress, that can be extremely demotivating because you might not see visual changes in yourself, you know, over the course of months or even a year of training, right? Uh, so you have to look, I think, to other measures uh, and you have to look to other outlets to set goals for yourself in the gym and then also out of the gym. Uh, but in the gym, I think uh, powerlifting is a really good outlet for me. So that gives me something concrete that I can kind of look at and objectively measure. You know, I'm getting stronger at this lift. My form is improving on this lift uh, or whatever the case may be. But I find that powerlifting and bodybuilding uh, can really complement each other nicely in that sense of, of keeping motivation levels high. Right. If if someone came to you, like some random dude, like a relative of yours, like, hey, like, I, I want to get into lifting, I want to be healthier, more muscular, whatever, would you steer them more into the bodybuilding direction or like get strong on lifts and focus on getting stronger, whatever, keep your diet in check, obviously, but but focus on getting stronger primarily? Uh, if, if they had mainly physique goals and didn't care too much about powerlifting, uh, i I wouldn't steer them in the direction of powerlifting. I would, you know, put them on a program that's going to allow them to build the most muscle. Um, so I think that specificity when you're, you know, considering someone's goals is always most important. Uh, so if their goals are to build as much muscle as they can. I don't think the best way to do that is by giving them like starting strength or something like that, for example. Uh, so a program, you know, highly, highly specific to the squat bench and deadlift. Uh, I would instead give them say like an upper lower program, uh, or even like a push pull legs or something like that. Uh, that's more tailored towards, you know, overall proportional development of all of the muscles. Uh, if that's what you're asking. Um, I, I tend to steer bodybuilders in the direction of doing strength phases or even competing in powerlifting uh, as they get more and more advanced. And this is because I do think it's a good way to sort of break through plateaus. Uh, and I also think that the motivational factor is important uh, when, when you get more and more advanced because you tend to see less returns on your training, kind of like we've been talking about. 
Yeah, right. Okay, uh, I, I want to ask one more question about training, then I, I want to pick your brain a little bit on nutrition. Yeah. But uh, so would you um, – do you like how, how would you generally describe your uh, approach to training? I know you're, I, I, I've heard your interview with Menno about training frequency. I know you're not opposed to a, a five day or like a body part kind of split. So, what would you say? How, how do you generally approach? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think it totally depends on the, the training status of, of the athlete. Um, so it's going to look quite a bit different if they're a beginner versus an intermediate versus an advanced. Um, but if we're looking at someone who say, you know, on my level or close to it, like say they've got like three or four years of training experience, maybe they've done a bodybuilding show. Um, then there's a couple of different ways you can set it up. Uh, but I, I like to, I like to use a block periodized approach. Um, I like to take specific phases where I'm focusing predominantly on developing one trait, uh, so if someone has, say, a lagging chest, then we can hit them with chest training for three or four times a week uh, in different uh, rep ranges. So there will be a daily undulating component uh, to that specific phase. Um, and then essentially what we want to do is over the course of the off season, be accumulating volume and uh, having them doing more work or at least being capable of doing more work at the end of the off season than they were capable of doing at the beginning. Um, and how that actually looks is going to depend a lot on uh, the athlete's preferences, kind of their training ability, if they have any specific goals in terms of power lifting uh, or any other number of, of factors like, uh, you know, access to equipment and uh, weak points. So we can, you know, further specialize for a bodybuilder if they have no legs and we have to hit legs more often. Um, yeah, so I, I guess that would be kind of like my basic overarching approach. Uh, but I don't have like one split that I like to stick to. Like a lot of people say are like, you know what, push-pull legs is, is the one that I always go to. Um, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll have uh, people run push-pull legs. Sometimes I'll have them run upper lower. Uh, sometimes I'll have them run kind of like a modified bro split which is what I've been currently running myself and experimenting with lately. And uh, I, I think that the psychological component of training is something that becomes uh, extremely important to uh, as, as an online coach. I think that uh, people um, tend to push themselves harder and uh, adhere to the training better when they're running a program that they legitimately enjoy. Um, and so that's part of the reason why I've sort of, I've sort of accepted some of these things that have been wrote off by the evidence-based community as hearsay, if, if that makes sense. Uh, just because I think that um, things can be effective if you implement them in a, in a logically coherent and uh, well thought through way. And then I think that this sort of allows you to get the best of both worlds where the athlete is enjoying the training. And then also they're doing something that, you know, makes sense and is going to allow for progress over the, over the course of the long term. Yeah, right. Does, yeah, does, that, does that make sense? That, that's, yeah, about no, as, that's about as general as a uh, big picture as I think I can paint. No, I mean, I mean I'm def definitely agree. And, uh, and I also, uh, what you just mentioned about the evidence-based community, I, uh, you know, I mean, science and, and evidence-based kind of approach is, is great. Uh, but, but it's funny because I tend to see that kind of these trends, I almost would compare it to like a stock market. Like this trend goes up now, now this trend now 
Now clean eating is very much like bashed upon and now all the IIFIM rage and now it's body part split is like never that's ridiculous and yeah. whatever full body all the time. So, so it's kind of funny these trends that just go up and down. Um, yeah, but um, I, I would want to, I've seen a video that you posted recently. Uh, well, not that long ago, which was about your current kind of nutritional and training approach. And you mentioned that right now you're kind of uh, eating intuitively and not tracking your your calories, your macros that specifically. How do you kind of manage? Do you? How would you say you're you're splitting your season up in terms of tracking and not tracking stuff? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so uh, I guess I'll start with where I am in my uh, current off season. Uh, so I just competed um, in. Uh, October. So I'm just what, uh, November, December, January, I'm like two to three months post show. Uh, so I'm pretty fresh off of a competitive season. Uh, and when people are fresh off of a competitive season, I'll typically recommend one of two approaches. Uh, one will either be a relatively controlled reverse diet and the other will be uh, an intuitive eating approach. Uh, so just to quickly summarize these, uh, the reverse diet approach, I'll typically do for someone who either uh, didn't get so lean. Um, so for example, like a bikini competitor or someone like that, uh, or someone who didn't say struggle so much with the diet, uh, like it, it didn't really eat into their heart and soul. Like it was kind of just something that they did and they were hungry every now and then, but it wasn't like a grueling process for them. Uh, for that sort of person, I find that they can usually be successful with a reverse diet. Um, someone more like myself who tends to struggle a little bit more psychologically with the diet, uh, tend to have a lot more um, experience, a lot more lethargy, uh, you know, highly variable moods, um, just constant hunger pains, this sort of thing. Um, for, for that type of person, uh, I'll typically recommend uh, just trying to recover kind of as quickly as you can, accepting the fact that you're going to binge after the show and that that's normal. Um, and then allow your body to kind of re-equilibrate and get back to a comfortable weight for you, say, to your body set point level. Um, and then once you go there, you really have to do what it takes to sort of stay there. Um, and I find that an intuitive eating approach can actually be quite effective for that. Uh, of course, some people will try that method and it will just be an excuse for them to just all out binge and overshoot their set point by 20 or 30 pounds. Uh, and then they end up having to damage control and come back the other way. Uh, if you're the type of person who you know is psychologically susceptible to that, then this definitely, you know, it's probably not the best uh, approach to take. Uh, but it's the one that I've taken myself. I've used it with some of my clients and uh, it, it, it is effective uh, psychologically. I think it can be um, very relieving uh, to know that, you know, you don't have to track all of this all the time. And then you're always like, oh, should I go over? Should I not? Um, it just allows you to really listen to your body. And uh, so, in terms of intuitive eating, I think that there are uh, there are three main principles that you kind of want to guide your eating behaviors by. Uh, so the first one is to eat for physical rather than emotional reasons. Uh, so when you're just you know sat at home eating out of the peanut butter jar, uh, you're not really eating for physical sustenance. You're eating because you're emotion you feel emotionally attached to that food or whatever. Um, so that's the first rule. 
The other rule uh, is that you have to pay attention to your body's hunger signals. Uh, so when you're, when you're feeling hungry, you eat. And then once you're fully satiated, uh, you simply stop eating. Um, and then the third principle is that you don't place restrictions on yourself in terms of what foods to eat or even how much to eat, provided that you're following rule two. Uh, so rule two is one that you really have to be mindful and pay attention to. Uh, once you sit down to eat a meal, you know, you kind of think about how hungry you are after you finish it or as you're going through, kind of assess subjectively how, how, you, how hungry you're feeling. Um, and then once you feel, you know, full, then there's no need to, to continue eating. You kind of just stop eating. Um, and then to put another kind of spin on this as a bodybuilder, I found that setting yourself up with say four to six discrete meals that have a solid bolus of protein in each uh, is, is another fourth thing that I would sort of tack on there to ensure that you are optimizing muscle protein synthesis throughout the day. And then also kind of restricting a just like full day pick or a full day uh, of binging uh, that you can see after the, after a contest. Um, so that's kind of how I do the intuitive eating approach. Uh, it's not something I think I would recommend uh, in a contest prep itself. I think that in a contest prep, there is value in knowing exactly what you're taking in. Uh, and I'm not sure that I would recommend it for the entirety of an off-season. I think that there might be some value to sort of optimizing your caloric intake leading into a cut. And so for that reason, I, I tend to recommend people get off the intuitive eating train and sort of start tracking again and then maybe slowly reverse dieting or increasing your calories leading into a cut. Uh, but for the most part, I think that uh, intuitive eating in the off-season, as long as you have some idea of where your protein is and you can even intermittently track, say, once a week or once a month to make sure that your energy intake uh, isn't either too low or, or too high, um, then it can be a very effective strategy. Yeah, right. And uh, and actually, a, a few points that I want to make off of this because yep. you mentioned that um, you should kind of eat more for physical rather than emotional reasons and, and it's funny because that's almost almost like uh, a gauge or, or I can gauge by by that how interesting my general life is because because I know like if if I ate a meal and I know I have another one a few hours uh, later and and I just constantly thinking about that meal like okay when am I gonna get that to that meal and it's kind of a sign like okay why am I thinking about that meal when I'm not even hungry and it's like well because my day is pretty boring like it's a pretty good sign <laughs> Yeah. And, and, and the other thing is like um, you mentioned that it's kind of dependent on your personality type, like which mm -hmm. kind of strategy will work for you. Is that something that you kind of assess during a coaching uh, process, like how yeah. someone's personality is uh, and what they will respond best to? Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't think that intuitive eating is necessarily for everyone, even though it is in reality, the, approach that most just normal adults take. Like most people aren't tracking calories, let alone macronutrients. Uh, most people are kind of eating square meals and, uh, you know, eating according to their hunger, essentially. Uh, but I think that within our specific uh, sport, um, like I said, some people uh, are more psychologically prone to either overeat or undereat uh, if they're given an intuitive eating protocol and simply would just do better uh, to continue tracking. Uh, for those types of people, I tend to encourage them to at least uh, set up 
some more flexibility by simply just say tracking calories and protein uh, rather than tracking protein, carbs, and fats. Uh, that gives them a little bit of buffer room and a little more flexibility in terms of the carb to fat ratio. And that can provide a little bit more uh, additional lifestyle flexibility in the off season. Yeah, right. I, and actually, because because um, I you, you've done this for a while and, and after you've tracked macros for a while, you kind of just develop a sense for it. Like yeah. you kind of intuitively know what's in food. So, and, and actually I've heard Eric Helms say that one time that he cannot know He cannot not know where he is in terms of calories and macros because he is just, he looks at a food and he feels like Neo in, in Matrix. He just sees yeah. numbers instead of food. Like, are you a little bit like that as well? And that allows you to eat intuitively? Yeah, I think that most people who've been tracking macros for a couple of competition seasons are, are going to be like that. Uh, but I'm not sure that you should necessarily aim to be like that. Like, uh How should I word this? Like, I think you can get to a place where you're not constantly seeing numbers and letting that kind of affect you. Not that I'm saying that that's the way Eric was, uh, but I, I've seen this in some competitors. It's like they're trying to intuitively eat, but at the same time, they're like really adding up the numbers in their head. And it's like, I, I don't know if that's the end end stage here. Uh, I guess um, I don't necessarily let that affect my choices What I do instead is I uh, let the, the food choices kind of be the guide here. So I tend to stick to foods that are that have historically been uh, that have historically allowed me to hit my macros, if that makes sense. Uh, so if I'm eating foods that, uh, you know, I, I would normally hit my macros with my fats aren't all of a sudden going to you know, be blown way out of proportion to my carbs, if that makes sense, even if I'm intuitively eating. Uh, so like a focus on, say, you know, vegetables, fruits, uh, high fiber grains, uh, lean protein sources, uh, you know, nuts, and, and the, your stereotypical kind of like healthful foods um, are, are the ones that you stick to. Then I, I think that there's no need to really like be like doing that mental accounting or whatever. Uh, even, even though I admit that like sometimes I do add it up, you know, in my head, uh, I, I'll especially do that for protein. Uh, so if I'm not tracking, I'll say, okay, you know, about how many grams of protein are in this chicken breast about how much is in, you know, whatever it is that I'm eating. And I think that that's probably at the very least a smart thing to do. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, it's it's kind of like clean, as much as clean eating is kind of trendy to bash upon these days. Like, I guess like clean eating in a reasonable context would just mean unprocessed foods because those really like if you if you choose foods with a reasonable caloric density and satiety index, then you're, most people are just naturally gonna eat as much as they need. You know, like. Hmm. There's obviously like you know a whole bunch of almonds with peanut butter and banana is. Is very clean, but is very calorically dense and not that yeah. satiating, I guess. So most people can overeat on that exactly. So, so like, uh, what would you say your body fat ranges that you like to stick to? Like, I, I don't know, how low do you go in a contest? How high do you go up uh, in the off season? What would you say? Uh, so, well, for me personally, I, I compete at around 150, uh, the high 140s to 150. Uh, and then my off-season weight is usually around 165, uh, so around 15 pounds over. Uh, yeah, right now, yeah. right right now I'm 170, uh, so I'm about 20 pounds over. Uh, and sometimes I'll go up to 170, but I usually don't exceed it. 
Um, typically, I try to stay somewhere around 165 so that if I do want to compete in powerlifting, I compete in the 74 kilogram class. So that's 163 pounds. So I can just either, you know, cut back the carbs for a couple days or do a, a little water cut and get in there no problem. Uh, so that's some extra motivation for me to kind of stay a little bit leaner in my off season so that I can be competitive in that weight class. Uh, as a general rule, uh, for females, I recommend going somewhere between 10 to 15% over, uh, your stage weight. So say you're a bikini competitor and you compete at hundred pounds on stage, you would want to stay somewhere between 110 to 115 pounds, uh, in your off season, just to use nice whole numbers. Um, as a male, as a male, I, I tend to break it up. So uh, if you're a new competitor, so say it's your first show, I tend to be a little bit more lenient. So I say 15 to 20% of your body weight, uh, of your stage weight, you can go over by, if that makes sense, as like a peak off-season weight. And then for more experienced guys, I tend to be a little bit more conservative. So I, I tend to say the same as what I say for females, so 10 to 15% uh, over stage weight. So for me, uh, I get on stage at 150 uh, so 10% of that would be 15 pounds. So an off-season weight of around 165, I think, is reasonable. Yeah. And like 5 7% body fat on stage, roughly? Uh, I've never actually had it tested. I mean, I would say 5 to 7 would be uh, a little bit flattering. I'm probably realistically more like in the 7 to 9 range. Uh, oh, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I mean, it's, it's really hard to say. Uh, I've seen... Guys like Alberto Nunez get DEXA scans done, and I think he was something like 7% on his DEXA yeah, scan, six, something like that, 6, six or 7 or something. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I think that Berto gets at, uh, at least a bit leaner than I do on stage. And so if I'm being completely, you know, honest about it, I'm probably at least, you know, in the 8% range. If Again, I've never gotten it measured, so it's hard to say. Uh, but, yeah, probably something like that. Right. Okay, uh, and just out of curiosity, how low do you have to go in calories when you when you go to, yeah, you diet down to stage weight? Uh, this this depends. So um, let me think here. Uh, so I can I can do it by show. So uh, well, I'll go by my my most recent show first. Uh, I prepped with Eric Helms. Uh, we went as low as around sixteen hundred calories towards the towards the end of it. Um, the previous prep, uh, I did by myself, um, and I did a, a protein sparing modified fast at the end. Uh, so this is a sort of just like a very low calorie, very low carb, very low fat, uh, but very high protein diet. Um, and I did that for, I would say the last like 10 to 14 days before my carb load, uh, leading into the muscle mayhem. Uh, so I would say my calories got down as low as around like 1200 uh, on that prep uh, towards the end. Uh, but part of that is because, um, it was a shorter prep. I was in school and I kind of had to dig at the end to sort of get where I, I knew I needed to be. Um, and I did turn pro. So I, I think it, you know, I think it was worth it. Uh, then the prep before that, uh, I prepped with Lane Norton. So Lane was my coach for the Canadian nationals where oh, I won. Wow. Um, and, uh, I think we got as low as like similar to where I got with Eric, like somewhere around 16 to 1700. And then, okay. in pre and then in previous preps, uh, I do think I got as low as like thirteen or fourteen hundred uh, towards the end. But they were like bro preps, so I would get like 
just a meal plan. And if I remember, like after I started doing If It Fits Your Macros, I went back and looked at them and was like, oh my God, it was something like 10 grams of fat a day or something just oh, like wow. very, very, very low. Um, yeah. so, but that's typical of those sorts of, of bro meal plans, right? Yeah, of course. The protein, yeah. nothing else, just protein. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, exactly. The protein cannot make you fat. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. uh, all right. So um, actually, and, I, I, yeah. Go yeah, ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, I, I know you asked me uh, my body fat percentage. So, um, and then I think in the off season uh, for males, I, I tend to set a limit at around like 15% or like, you know, like 12 to 15%, I think is probably a good spot to sit. Um, and then for females, I think like 17 to 20% is like a good spot to sit. And if you start to go outside of that or go above it, then uh, it might be a good idea to run a little mini cut to kind of damage control. Uh, but I, not a lot of people are actually getting reliable body fat, uh, analysis done. So for that reason, I tend to just use a percentage of your stage weight as a, as a guide to determine if you're, if you've pushed it too far or not. Right. Right. No, that, that sounds, that sounds totally, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so I think slowly we can start wrapping up. Uh, but one thing I, uh, I already told you, I wanted to ask you about, which is, I, I know you are, I've seen in your YouTube videos that you're an ambitious reader. Uh, you like to read and yeah. I, I would be curious, uh, like, is that, um, wh why, why do you prioritize that? What's your reason behind that? Um, well, <laughs> to be honest, it, I, it's something I genuinely enjoy. I, you know, I, I like, I like reading. I love learning. Um, and I just find that books are kind of a reliable medium for me to take in good information. Uh, so if, if you're going on the internet and you're reading blogs or articles or whatever, I find they're less reliable unless you know exactly who it is that's doing the writing. Uh, or if you have like a good filter for, you know, weeding out the, the bullshit. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I enjoy reading. Uh, when I was prepping for my pro debut, I, I would wake up, have a cup of coffee and read for an hour, uh, every morning. Um, I think on my, on my prep, I would lean more towards like the fiction side of things, uh, just because I found like my mental faculties weren't fully there to read like some deep philosophy or something like that. Uh, but, um, in my off season and even at the beginning of the prep, uh, I'll read, Uh, mostly things to do with uh, psychology or philosophy, uh, religion, um, just, you know, an anything that kind of sparks my interest, I guess. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think it's an important point for, uh, for people to pick, pick up on because, you know, like they look at you and you look like this, this muscular guy, you know, they, they think like, okay, this guy lives in the gym and, uh, you know, like, I think I think it's very important, and, and it seems like you're it, you're not just living in the gym; like you have a life outside of the gym. And and would you also agree that it's important to be kind of well-rounded? And people, sh no matter how obsessed they are with uh, with bodybuilding, which which we are, because because we love it. But would you say it's important to aim to be a well-rounded person? Uh Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think it's important as a as a matter of well being, at least for me. You know, if if you're someone who values uh, intellectualism and learning, then uh, I think that being well rounded in that sense uh, can lead to a greater state of well being. And then also, it, it can open up your eyes to more information and newer opportunities, right? So when you, I think, are well learned and you know 
you know, and you know, at least a bit about a lot of different things, then you can plug that knowledge in and apply it to all sorts of different things. Uh, so I think that knowledge is very transferable in that sense. Uh, so um, even my knowledge of say like logic and philosophy and just science in general is highly applicable to what I do in the weight room. Uh, because, you know, a, lot, a, a big part of bodybuilding is being able to tease through, like I said, all of the, all of the nonsense that you, that you see out there and sort of sorting out the good information. And I think that to some degree that does take just general good, solid intellectual skills and, and uh, sort of like a well-developed rationality. Um, so in that sense, it is important. Uh, but then also, I'm not of the opinion that like, you know, you have to be uh, well-read to learn. Like there are all sorts of other mediums that we can take in knowledge now. So, you know, YouTube, I think is a great source if you know where to look uh, for all sorts of different types of information. Um, and, uh, you know, there are research reviews uh, that we can subscribe to on uh, nutrition and training uh, and, uh, you know, podcasts, audiobooks. Uh, so it, it's not just like necessarily limited to reading, but that is something that I personally enjoy doing. I find it relaxing and uh, enjoyable. Yeah, right. And I also just like talking to smart people, right? Like, yeah, yeah I, I totally agree. Like, like people like to, I mean, reading is, is, is a great source of getting knowledge, like uh, Kai Lopez would say. I don't know if you're following his stuff at all uh but 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 like yeah just just talking to interesting people you can you can just get a lot of stuff like uh yeah and yeah and, and also like would you say that like um working out like kind of helped uh with your intellectual kind of ambitions as as well um uh that's a good question um i would say they probably complement each other to some degree i feel like working out after I work out, I tend to feel more uh, like the endorphins are going. I kind of just feel like more receptive to new knowledge, if that makes sense. Like I used to study after I trained and I found like in that hour after my training session, I would just be extremely productive and I felt like I would learn a lot. Um, I don't know if, if you share that same, same experience. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, yeah. But other than that, I guess like one commonality between the two would be the fact that they kind of require discipline, uh, like – you know, it doesn't just happen like that you, you know, pick up a textbook and start studying it or whatever, just because you're interested in it or you want to learn more. Um, and it's kind of the same thing uh, with bodybuilding. You know, you kind of have to sometimes push yourself to do things that you might not necessarily want to do right now in the present so that, you know, you will grow from it or as a result of it in the, in the future. Uh, so I, I think that they do tie in with one another. But I think that even if I didn't ever... Uh, you know, become attracted to lifting, I would still probably want to be an intellectual in other disciplines. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, I guess just before I'm asking you where people can uh, find you and, and uh, yeah, all, all that kind of stuff. Uh, do you have any kind of like, um, like morning ritual, daily ritual that kind of helps you helps to set yourself on a productive kind of path or anything like that? <laughs> If I'm being completely honest with you, not really. Um, I wake up and get coffee and then breakfast and kind of make my way into my emails. But uh, what I try to do uh, is uh, meditate at least you know, semi-frequently. Um, I think that meditation is a good way to really clear your head and focus your attention on what it is that you actually need to do. 
Um, and I find like a lot of people think that they're too busy to meditate, so they don't want to take 15 or 20 minutes out of their day so that they can actually focus properly for the rest of the day. Uh, but I do think that that is a time saver. Um, in terms of morning routine, I really do like reading when I wake up. So uh, as I drink my coffee, I like to read for an half an hour or an hour. Uh, but that's not something that I consistently do. Uh, I know a lot of these like productivity gurus like Tim Ferriss and some of the other guys that I, that I listen to sometimes will really preach it. But uh, I guess in reality, I'm you know, eager to, to get into the work that I need to do for the day. Uh, but yeah, I'll usually kick it off with uh, coffee and some breakfast. I always try to get that source of protein in within you know, half an hour or so uh, on waking. Right. All right, man. Uh, I th thanks a lot for, for, uh, oh, for sure. taking the time. And um, yeah, uh, I, I think it was very insightful. And, and just please tell like where people can find you, your, your website, YouTube channel, that kind of stuff. Yeah, for sure. Well, Abel, I want to say thanks for having me on. Uh, it was a pleasure to talk with you about some of this stuff. I don't always get to go in quite that much detail or ramble that much. So thanks for putting up with that. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so you guys can reach me. Um, so my name is Jeff Nippard. Uh, my website for coaching is www.strong.com. So that's strong spelt with a C instead of an O. Uh, you can reach me uh, or follow me on Instagram. It's just at Jeff Nippard, which is my name. Uh, my Facebook athlete page, if you just search Jeff Nippard, Natural Pearl Bodybuilder, you should find me there. Uh, my YouTube is, uh, if you just search Jeff Nippard, uh, you should find me. Um, what else? Am I missing anything? I think that's it. I don't use Twitter very much. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. You, I, th I think my Instagram and YouTube is probably the best place to find me. That's where I post informative stuff and physique updates and some of my lifts and all that good stuff. All right, everyone. I really hope you enjoyed this interview with Jeff. If so, please leave a rating on iTunes. Also, subscribe to the Sustainable Self-Development Podcast on iTunes to get all the new episodes I put out, which at this time is actually three or four episodes a week at least, as I'm still putting up older episodes, and later it will probably go to two episodes per week. So if you could support this podcast by sharing it around, it would really help us grow and get more big guns on this show. I have big plans for getting some of the most successful people on this podcast. And with your help, this could actually become a reality. So thank you so much for hanging around. It means a lot to me and see you next time.